My name is Grace Chapel, and I like things. I'm not really talking about nice clothes or gadgets, though those can be great too. But you know what I get excited about? Movie ticket stubs, birthday cards from 10 years ago, or pressed flowers still in the book you left them in in high school. It's the kind of stuff that goes in a shoebox under the bed, not on the mantelpiece. What is it that makes these things so important to us? And why won't we let them go? Join me each episode as I delve into someone's life, finding out about the treasures that they keep and the memories that those things preserve. This is Odds and Ends for Curio. Um, okay, I'm just going to move that dog. Wouldn't want any of our audio gold no. to be ruined by a yappy dog. <laughs> a yappy dog. In my final semester of uni, I joined the Dramatic Society. Many of the most interesting people I know I met during that short time, a lot of whom I remain close friends with today. One of these people is Cal. Who's that girl there? <laughs> I wonder what went wrong so that she had to roam the streets. Like it's, yeah. If I were speaking to you from the 1920s, Cal is the kind of person I would describe as a good sport. He has a way of putting people at ease, able to ignite a conversation with anyone, and always first to laugh at a joke. He has this distinctive burst of red hair and the manner of someone far beyond his years. Cal agreed to catch up with me while he's here in town this winter. For the past year, he's been studying writing for music theatre at NYU and is only back home for a month. Living in Perth, you get pretty used to people moving away, going on to exciting new opportunities. My big brother moved to Berlin just last week, off to be a jazz musician. I always find it a bit confronting. Part of me wants them to go off and pursue their dreams, but part of me just desperately wants to keep them here. But with Cal, it's hard to hold on to selfish wishes. It's so easy to get caught up in his shameless enthusiasm. Listen to the magic he can spin with a broken drumstick. Yeah, I have a, I have a smashed drumstick. Um, it's, in, it's, it's actually cut pretty cleanly in half. And it came from an LCD sound system concert, which I attended uh, in March of this year. Um, they, the band were, uh, were, had a residency at this new venue in Brooklyn that was opening up. And uh, they, <laughs> so they were playing six shows, uh, which of course sold out in something like 15 minutes. And um, so I missed out on tickets for the first round. But I was just kind of kicking around. Um, I think I'd, be, I'd been at uni in Manhattan earlier on in the day and I'd got a tip off from somebody that um, there were door tickets available for the shows and they were announcing them like an hour before the show at like a different venue around Brooklyn. And so this is like, like I pride myself on like not being too heavy on the like hipster scum and you know, like <laughs> maybe that's an ill-fated gesture, but anyway, um, this is like the most hipster thing that I've ever done, which is to like stand around uh, the streets of Williamsburg, refreshing their Facebook page and like waiting for them to announce where the tickets were going to be available. And of course I'm surrounded by every other like Brooklyn hipster and uh, yeah, and you know, people were kind of trying to hedge their bets by like picking a venue ahead of time and then somebody would hear from somebody else that it's like, oh no, it's it's not here and people are like sharing Ubers and cabs to like get across the borough to like where the next location that somebody got the hot tip was and eventually at about six, 
they were uh, they were like tickets are available at the venue, and I literally ran. I literally ran like three kilometers across Williamsburg to the venue to get in this line, and yeah, and I got a ticket for the show, and it was amazing. Band played for like two hours of like a greatest hits show and like two encores and four new songs. And so like at the end of the gig, you know, that like ritual fighting your way to the front so that you can then beg a security guard or a roadie to throw you a set list. Uh, And because there were like nine musicians on stage, there were set lists abundant. I managed to miss out on all of them. Um, But the roadie did take pity on me and he was like, well, there is this smash drumstick on the side of stage and you can have that if you want. And I was like, give it to me. (laughs) (laughs) Music is obviously hugely important in Cal's life, though it's more of an appreciation of the art form rather than an involvement, he tells me. Yeah, uh, live music is like the thing for me. I don't write music myself or, you know, I'm unfortunately like that's not one of my talents, but going, like being in that world, um, you know, particularly, like, the alternative music scene, I suppose, um, is, like, such a huge part of the way that I define myself, and it has been since, like, like my early teenage years, when I was, like, somehow even more insufferable about, <laughs> about my taste in music than I am today. And I guess, like, that experience um, was... At the time, I didn't realise how big a deal it was. Um, getting to New York... Uh, living in a foreign city for the first time in my life, um, uh, living that far away from home for the first time in my life was, at first, you know, it, it's a tough transition to make. Um, and particularly particularly in, like, a sprawling, alienating metropolis such as, such as New York. And so the first sort of three or four months that I was there, I was, like, very much trapped in my, like, university bubble and my, like, music theatre bubble. And I, and I just wasn't putting myself out there and, like, trying to find what else the city had to offer, which is crazy. So in, in the new year, sort of, like, I'd sort of, like, started to open up a little bit more, but, like, the winter was just so bitter and I was, like, kind of starting to miss home a bit and, like, uni was super hectic and and it was, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's been, like, the most incredible kind of hectic, you know. I mean, can't really complain about getting to spend like 40 hours a week learning how to write musicals and then going home and then writing them. But it, it didn't, it hadn't left me kind of like at a loss for what to do outside of that. And like going to this gig, like making that decision to just have this experience of, you know, waiting around to see where the tickets were, were and like meeting the people that were also doing that and like feeling a little bit more like I was part of a community outside of my like, NYU bubble, I guess in a weird way, in this sentimental way, this smashed drumstick symbolizes the smashing of my, like, the, it's the burst, I, I, I use this, it's actually, it's actually pretty wickedly sharp, like, you could probably shiv someone with it, and so I guess we could say that I, like, used it to pop the bubble, get out there, and become more of a citizen or whatever new yorker a new yorker well apparently you don't get to be called a new yorker until you've lived there for five years so (laughs) got a bit to go yet on that one and the way he talks about it it's a bit like cal has chosen this drumstick as some totem or reminder to push himself outside his comfort zone and live fully although he clearly just loves this band a lot as well 
it's so nice and somewhat refreshing to hear someone talk openly and extensively about something they're passionate about. There's no air of feigned disinterest or reservation, just a joy that's infectious to listen to. I know that usually if a subject comes up in conversation that I'm into, I do this frustrating thing where I wait to see how much people know about it or are prepared to talk about it before I reveal just how into it I am. This is particularly true for the more nerdy topics, but not so for Cal. Yeah, so I have this sword. Cal has just pulled out a life-size replica of the Master Sword from the Legend of Zelda video game Ocarina of Time. It's big and heavy and one of the most serious pieces of merch I've ever seen. Uh, it was a 21st birthday gift uh, from uh, some of my best and dearest friends in the world. Um, it's not sharp. Uh, you could probably run someone through with it though, I think. Um, not that I would, but just, you know. Um, yeah, and the significance of this is, I suppose, well, there's a few things. One, yeah, I am a huge nerd. Uh, I do, do love my video games, uh, even if I don't get a lot of time for them these days, but I have been clocking some serious Breath of the Wild time since I've been back in Perth, which has been, been real good. If you are, like me, not up to date on your video game knowledge, Breath of the Wild is, I believe, the newest Legend of Zelda game. But specifically the Legend of Zelda series, um, for me, is, is so significant because of my like deep love of fantasy. Um, I think that even like from the earliest memories of my childhood, imagination and, and fantasy and imaginary worlds and, and exotic characters and all those elements of the fantasy genre and the, the epic scale of the storytelling has just... I've just felt this deep, deep connection to it. Yeah, and I suppose um, that growing up playing these video games was, like, the best way to feel like I was a part of that world. Uh, funnily enough, my first experiences with The Legend of Zelda series were um, <laughs> were to do with my dad, um, who, like, again, like, we could probably do a whole podcast on my weird dad, but... Uh, so we had this N64 and like dad had read like an article in the paper. This isn't like 1998 or something like that. Um, about how, uh, Ocarina of Time was like the greatest video game of all time. And that like everybody who was anybody like had to play it. And my dad doesn't play video games, but for some reason he just figured that it was like an important cultural touchstone for us. Anyway. So he was like, he was like, Oh, I've heard a lot about this Legend of Zelda game. Like, do you, are you like interested in getting it at all? And I was like, no, nah, I want Banjo-Kazooie. <laughs> so it was actually, like, a, quite some time before I even, like, became acquainted with the series. I feel like that was really my first exposure to, like, I, I suppose what you would call high fantasy. And then, like, from that, that was an avenue to, like, you know, like, Lord of the Rings and, like, um, the, the King Killer Chronicle, um, which, uh, if anybody hasn't read Name of the Wind or isn't aware of what that is, you should go do that, because um, it's the best. Um, uh, and, uh, and I, in fact, that was really what triggered my earliest uh, inclinations towards writing as well. When I started writing, which was, like, which I've really done since I could write. It was, well, first of all, it was, like, stories about native Australian animals going on weird adventures. Um, 
And then, like, as I started to absorb these, like, fantasy worlds and these fantasy tropes and stuff, um, these animals started to take on the characteristics of, like, these fantasy worlds. And it was all, it all suddenly became, like, swords and, like, mythical creatures and, like, I was drawing maps upon maps upon maps of, like, these, these amazing places. And, and for a while, yeah, in my, like, mid-primary school to probably mid-high school, I was almost exclusively, like, writing these fantasy short stories. And I, like, even in my naivety attempted to start writing a couple of novels, which inevitably got abandoned because, like, what an undertaking for a teenager. Um, yeah, but that was really, like, how I fell in love with writing stories was through the fantasy genre, uh, which I was ostensibly led to by the Legend of Zelda series. Yeah, so having that as, like, such a huge part of my identity, um, my best friends saw it as uh, appropriate to give me this sword for my 21st birthday. We chat for a while about our shared appreciation for all things nerdy. It's funny, he's possibly the first person ever to get me to candidly discuss my deep love of Doctor Who. I ask him if he'll ever take his love of fantasy into the music theatre art form. I really want to. I really want to. Nobody has made high fantasy work in musical theatre. Um, there was a Lord of the Rings musical that ran on the West End for a while, which was terrible. Um, but yeah, I would love to. I would love to be the first person to to make it work. I haven't hit the nail on the head as to like what the concept is of like. What is a what is a, a fantasy world that necessitates storytelling through music? Um, but yeah, one day I would love to do that. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. it was just when you were describing like the allure of fantasy to you, of, mm. like the sort of grand storytelling yeah. and yeah. like big ideas. Music yeah, music. has a right. It yeah. is very musical, <laughs> and fantasy does sing. Like I think. I mean, personally, my attraction to the genre of I say genre to the the medium of musical theatre. Is the is that I just think music is magic, and I just think composers are magic, and I like people people who can create music are yeah. I just I don't know how you do what you do, but um, I will forever be in awe of you. And yeah, I just I think that music is the closest thing that exists in the world to literal magic, and it it, it affects people in a way that they really don't understand, and it, it, it taps into something like primordial and and. Um, uh, I hesitate to use the word spiritual, but it's like probably the most spiritual that I get is when relating to music. I guess music is another one of those things, like objects, which has this power to transport you through time and space, into your past, or if you've moved away, back home. It is magic. As soon as he picks up each memento, stories pour out of cow like they've been frugally stored up for years. Sometimes they're related, sometimes they jut out at weird and wonderful tangents. It actually came in handy because um, one of my best friends uh, and I studied psychology together uh, in undergrad, and we were very idealistic 18-year-olds, and you know we were never going to like work for the man, and we were going to do, do the important work that was really like giving something back to society, and then... <laughs> I became a musical theatre writer and he became a management consultant. But he did say to me, you know, if I ever go corporate, then you should just end it right there. Like, you should just kill me. And so when I was given this sword and about two years later, he uh, embarked on his uh, management consulting career. Well, it came in handy. Uh, no, I didn't, I didn't kill anyone. Um, <laughs> but symbolically. 
Yeah, going back to going back to Name of the Wind. Um, <laughs> so three of these guys used to work in a in a bookstore in Subiaco, um, and and they were hugely obsessed with this book. Um, and uh, to the to the point where if anybody came into the store and and said, "I'm looking for a book," which is like a common funny retail question. Um, then they would immediately be like, well, you want Name of the Wind. And like they just had several copies of it under the counter or you know, somewhere that was very easily accessible and it would just be like, take it. Eventually he pulls out his third object, which is actually a photo of him from a few years back, wearing a yellow bucket hat. This is a, it's, it's a, a yellow, fading yellow towel bucket hat that actually originally belonged to my grandpa um, and like, most of my memories of, of my grandpa from, like, my childhood involve him, like, dressed in this ridiculous hat, um, which, of course, doesn't look ridiculous on him because, like, he was 70 when I was born, and so, you know, he's um, <laughs> old dude. Um, no, that's a bit fun. Cal's friend is at the door. This is another thing about Cal and his family. Apparently, growing up, they had an open-door policy. So people would just drop in and hang out any time, as someone has just done. Um, what was I talking about? Hat. Yes. Uh, so a few years ago, I started living in my grandparents' old house, um, uh, and I found this hat, uh, which I hadn't seen for years, and I was like, well, I'm going to have this, and I'm going to like use it to, I don't know, stay in touch with like memories of my grandpa. He's a very significant... Uh, person in my life who's had like a lot of influence on myself and like the people around me. So you said he was 70 when you were born. Right. So he, yeah, he turns 97. Like he's next still week. alive. Yeah, he's still wow. alive. Yeah. Yeah, he's still alive. He's living in a home in, uh, in Subiaco these days. What does he think of you taking the hat? Uh, well, I mean, unfortunately, like the sad story is like chances are he doesn't actually know that I have it. Um, cause the reason that he's in the home is because he's, got pretty severe dementia these days um but i like to think that because i often wear it when i go in to visit him yeah yeah and i, I like to think that there's like a, a silent acknowledgement i mean like he's never never been like an overly verbose gentleman like mm. uh, i don't know where i get it from um <laughs> but yeah he he's always he, he's always been quite uh stoic and uh, i like the idea that that he he does see the hat and he does think uh, he, he does sort of think about that connection. Um, yeah, so I took it. I took it with me when I moved out to New York, um, as a as a sort of I suppose gesture of like maintaining solidarity with that that influence. Yeah, like yeah. a link to home. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm like terribly sentimental. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like all about stuff like that. All about yeah. that. It's so weird. Like. You know, I'm not very, like, spiritual or, like, I don't sort of have any degree of, like, mysticism about me, but I do, I, I am, like, really sentimental and, like, I think I, like, romanticise my, like, personal connections and what have you and, yeah, and so it just, it felt like an important thing to do to, to hold on to that, so I did. It's a beautiful picture. Cal hanging on to this connection with his grandpa unshaken by the ravages of dementia, or removed to Brooklyn. There's this whole minimalism flavour of the month right now, this notion that we should all live clutter-free lives without the burden of stuff. But I would like, if you'll allow it, to momentarily speak in defence of stuff. 
There's so much love and humanness in Cal's gesture of taking this hat to New York, inconvenient though it may have been. Cal goes on to tell me about his grandpa's life. I thought about summarising the important points here, but Cal says it so much better than I ever could. My grandpa was a, a refugee from Vienna in the Second World War. He was, yeah, he was born and raised in Vienna. Uh, he was born in 1920. And um, when, the, yeah, when the Nazis came to Austria, um, they weren't actually practising Jews, but um, his father was born a Jew, and our name is Jewish enough that uh, they were like, well, <laughs> you're out. And so uh, as they were descending upon the city, uh, my grandpa and his identical twin brother and his older sister uh, were sent on a train with whatever possessions they could carry uh, out of the city, and they went to London, um, and they were joined a few months later by their father, their mother having died some years previously. They were in London for a very short amount of time where they learned English, uh, and then got on a boat and came to Australia. Um, they arrived in Australia in, I think, like, late 39. They began, they, they began their um, university studies. So my grandpa learned English and then, like, months later applied to do a science degree at Melbourne Uni. And so he and his brother went down to Melbourne. Um, in fact, oh, my God, this is a huge tangent, but it's a pretty funny story. So yeah. they started the, the ski club at Melbourne Uni, and they used to go up, into the into the ski fields um, in the winter, and one year uh, they decided they were going to build a ski lodge, and so they like carted all these logs up the mountain, built this ski lodge, laid down linoleum floors, um, and closed it all up because there was like inclement weather coming or something like that, and went down the mountain. Unfortunately, when you lay down linoleum, um, gas escapes from it, and <laughs> When they came back to bring the next load of stuff into this cabin, it had exploded because the pressure had built up. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. After uh, undergrad, he enlisted in the Australian Army and went and fought in Borneo in 1942 uh, against the Japanese. Um, Straight back into it. Crazy, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, run away from the Nazis, enlist in the Army, <laughs> go back and, yeah, fight, fight the Japanese. He rose to the rank of captain. Uh, and in, which is super cool because when they surrendered in 45, um, because he was an officer, he was presented with a samurai sword by a Japanese officer, which I don't know where that is, but it used to be mounted in his office, like in his home. And my cousin, um, was, um, once being bullied at school and like said to the other kid, well, like... If you push me around, my grandpa has a sword and he will come to school and he will cut you. <laughs> Which I swear is like totally not his game. He's a very, very placid old man. I'm not sure what the significance of this is, but Cal seems to talk about stabbing people a lot. Um, yeah. So he came, yeah, came back to Australia after the war and having seen so many terrible things there, um, or we, I mean, he doesn't really talk about it much or ever, so we just kind of assume that that was what led him to uh, study medicine, um, which he yeah completed and then moved out to Perth after that, um, and yeah, so that was like 
what, like the mid, I guess the early 50s when he moved out. Um, and then he met my grandmother and they started this family. And there has been this really amazing connection um, with all of the members of this family, all of this extended family. I don't know, I'm really close with all of my cousins, um, which is like apparently uh, not a not a common thing, but I think it was just because like my grandpa and his twin brother, who both moved over here, um, they really wanted to have this this really strong family core and, and family connections, and so we we all grew up together, and we were all you know spending a lot of our time at each other's houses, and like they both bought neighboring properties uh, down in the southwest in the Jarrah Forest. And so, you know, it was like weekend trips down to the, well, we call it the farm. It's not really much of a farm. It's not not any livestock or, or crops. It's basically just like acres of cleared land and yeah. a paddock uh, and a, a house with a roof full of asbestos. Um, the Aussie dream. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. One day I shall retire to a similar plot of land. I asked Cal if it was hard to leave his family at home and move away, but his answer surprised me. He said he thought in many ways it was easier having that loving family support because part of him knows it's always going to be there for him to come back to. And he Skypes, of course. What was your granddad in your life growing up? What did he mean to you? Uh, he was, I, w- I would say, and maybe this is like a cliched grandfather thing, but like a source of wisdom. Like he was somebody that I could go to with any question whether like, personal, philosophical, scientific, like, whatever, and and just, like, he always had either an answer or an opinion. Uh, (laughs) uh, He's an an inspiration, you know. I would, like, he gave so much his entire life. His entire life was just about giving to the people around him. You know, actually, uh, just side note, I suppose, um... That I the most important effect that I think my grandpa had on me was that like he was always one to take his time with what he did in his life. You know, um, I think that a lot of people feel a lot of pressure to make quote unquote progress in their lives. You know, um, get through uni, like get that job, get that house. You know, settle, and they look around them and they compare themselves to the people around them who may have the things that they want earlier than they have them. And you can just fall into this, like, pit of anxiety about where you are. I have had the benefit of looking at my grandpa, who had this incredible, like, legacy of 60 years of working in medicine in in WA, which he didn't even start until he was 30. You know, like, he... He, so he retired when he was 90, because of course he did. Um, because, like, that was when my grandmother could finally, like, pull him away. Um, uh, and, um, yeah, so, I mean, when when I kind of... I, I kind of look around at, you know, my life and, like, the trajectory of, of my career and my relationships and my future and what have you, and I, and I think, well, you know, Grandpa took his time and he had the ideal life or an, an ideal version of a life, like something that I would certainly like to aspire to, you know, like this amazing family, this amazing career, travelled all over the world and and he's you know, just such a deeply, deeply intelligent man. Um, 
This certainly seems to resonate with other aspects of Cal's life. Apparently, Cal almost became a teacher. He said he was doing his masters and having a really hard time of it when he realised he actually wanted to make musicals. So if things had been going well for him from a young age, if everything was smooth sailing right into that stable job, he may never have found his dream career. I mean, he also just has an incredible sense of humour. And we're going to go on yet another tangent. Uh, But another thing that that hat reminds me of is, like, he would always wear it in the pool. So, like, going over to... So, growing up... um, big thing Australian summer was like going to my grandparents' house on the weekend and having a swim in their pool. And like grandpa was always in the pool wearing this towel hat. And like, it just got, it's just a very strange man. There are a lot of very strange people in my family. And he used to like sing little songs to himself just made of like nonsense syllables. And so he'd be like in the pool and he would have like a pool noodle or something like that. Um, and he would just be like singing to himself a little noodle song that he made up. You know, just complete and utter nonsense. Something like, oh, noodle, 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 And it, yeah. Um, and I, I, yeah, I guess that's the thing. It's, I've been talking about all of this serious stuff, you know, like, like wisdom and experience and intelligence and family and legacy and what have you. But, like, really, he was just an intensely silly man at heart. And he just, you know, loved to laugh and, like, loved good music. Entirely tone deaf. Um, couldn't hold a tune to save his life but like if you play any piece of classical music to him like he can tell you what it is within like four bars it's incredible Um, yeah and I guess like that's maybe not that specific skill but like that deep appreciation of music and culture is something that I picked up from from him I think there's a lot to be said for holding on to your roots and cherishing them as Cal does though that probably looks different for everyone. It's a nice reminder that it's okay to miss home. Odds and Ends is a production of the Curio Network and hosted by Grace Chappell. We're produced by Jackson Yusud and me, Ben McAllister. Editing by Grace Chappell. Theme music is Warm by Joey Pecoraro. We're just getting started here at Curio, and the response so far has blown us away. So from all of us, thank you. We'll keep trying to make content you enjoy. We'd love to hear from you if you've got thoughts about the show. So find us on Facebook or Twitter at Curio Network or at Odds and Ends Show on Twitter. If you like the show, think about giving us a rate and review on iTunes or wherever you listen. It's actually really, really helpful. We've got other content on Curio, such as how to win loot and influence dragons, where we all play D&D and try to be funny. Or Still Interested, where we look at film and TV that have been rebooted or remade and try to figure out why they thought it was a good idea. Check it all out at curionetwork.com. We'll see you in two weeks. Um, and I still think that if I if I had to specify like one like ridiculous, unrealistic pipe dream of mine, um, it would be to play the doctor at some point in my life. Yeah. 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 That's definitely that's definitely up there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I always wanted to be a companion. Huh. Mm. Well. <laughs> one day. To the BBC, <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I said in the podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Take note, producers at the BBC. Yeah.